to the shepherds. So Luke chapter 2, and uh, I'll begin reading from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appears with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That's a wonderful scripture. And it's lovely that we sang that carol together because of uh, all the, the Christmas carols, which are quite elaborate in their poetry and wording. This one carol is probably, they say, closest to the Bible in its message, part by part, verse by verse, that we sing together over at Christmas time. I think that's quite amazing. So actually what we have just sung, we have pretty much read word for word. So it's really such a good carol to sing. And it's a, a great message, God's message to the shepherds. Um, I was thinking back not to that carol service. So I was, that would have been quite amazing. I'll have to dig deep to see what I saw on then actually. It'll be just a challenge. I'll find it, don't worry. But I was thinking back years before that, to our school nativity. I, I never got to play the role of being a shepherd at school. Now, that sounds quite sad. I put it down to the fact that I probably had an allergy to being tea towels on my head, tied around with a pair of tights or something they used in the day. I don't think they do that these days. But I think I can remember being told, Les, you're a naughty boy. You don't deserve that, but I don't even think I made it to being a sheep. I really, it was, it was that low. So it was a bit sad, and uh, thank you for your sympathy. <laughs> I did last Tuesday have this conversation with my wife. We were walking on the hoe, and we were just talking about the nativity. Amazing, we've been married for so many years, and this is the first time we talked about our roles or non-roles in the nativity. And I said to Pauline, I said, so... How far did you get? And she said, I made an angel. And I said, what, the angel? And she said, no, but I made an angel. So I looked at her and laughed. And I said, what, you, an angel? At that point, she thumped my arm. Not very angelic. 
I don't know how she got that role. She must have cheated. I think she was very good at school. I think she was really, really well behaved. I wasn't. I was a bad boy at school. That's another story. That's detracting. But thinking about bad behaviour, it reminded me something historically about these shepherds. They, they were not the best. Shepherds, Judean shepherds of the day in which Christ was born, they didn't have the best of occupations. To be a shepherd wasn't considered a high occupation. I consider it very much a family thing, but it was never considered to be a high occupation, which actually surprises me, because if you look into Bible history, you'll find that some of the great Bible leaders were shepherds. Abraham had his flocks in the thousands. He was a shepherd as did his son Isaac. He had his flocks, family thing. Great leaders in the Bible, great patriarchs. Then came Jacob, and he looked after his father-in-law's flocks, a great leader. Not only him, but then there was Moses. You remember his story when he went out to the desert. He then began to look after his father-in-law's flocks. Great leader. And then, of course, we are reminded of David's that great man of God, great king, man after God's own heart. He was in the fields of Bethlehem in his day when he was called out to become a king. What a lovely type. What a lovely picture of what we celebrate at Christmas. And here we have other shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem coming to see another, a great king. But in their day, they didn't have a great reputation. Maybe they brought that upon themselves. They were really considered to be the lowest of the low. And in these days, a shepherd's reputation was so bad that they weren't allowed to appear in court as a witness because of their reputation. They were thought to be unreliable. And that has its own story. They were never allowed to fulfill that role. They were considered as outcasts of the day. And they made their living not just through being shepherds, but through other, probably what we would call dodgy means. And this is the picture we're painting of this band of shepherds in our story today. But thinking back to this, Society in their day really dealt them a bad hand. I'm sure they brought it upon themselves, but society didn't help. And tragically, we're living in a day where there are people groups who are considered as outcasts. We wouldn't give them the time of day. We would pass them by. And we might, and I pray we will be guilty of that ourselves, but it's actually very easy to do that without thinking about it. Often, if we're in the city centres or in the town centres and we see somebody begging, we look at them and sometimes we try to ignore them, don't we? Maybe we're guilty of crossing over onto the other side of the street. Maybe they're talking to us and we think, ooh, don't want to get involved. Or maybe we do something, but suddenly the thought has already happened in our minds. Not too brilliant, is it? Um, one of my friends of years ago was a lady called Jeannie. Uh, elderly lady and she was a traveler they do have a bit of a reputation and she i have to say was an absolute rogue 
she really was. You wouldn't want to be associated with her. And now as I think back, I cannot remember how I first made her an acquaintance. I really don't know how the friendship developed. But it did. And she became a traveller, but settled in the city of Plymouth. And she had one of these huge caravans, and she established it in one of the many forts that encircle the city of Plymouth. And there she spent her whole life. That caravan she inherited from her parents. And her parents were part of the fairground people, the Romans fairground people. Big name. And this was her family. And I can still remember the day she said in her caravan, she had bags and bags and bags of the old... Sorry, you young people, you're, not, you're going to lose you on this one. Big old pennies. Now, some of you will remember those big old pennies because her, her parents ran the one-armed bandits on the fairgrounds. And of course, she, with all her superstitions, said that's their money. They passed away, but she wouldn't touch it. She wouldn't bank it. That's their money. I'm not going to go anywhere near it. She had these strange ideas, but the one thing she said to me was, people don't talk to me. And she felt so alone, so isolated. And that made me really think, how, how sad. Let's be very careful how we deal with people. And when I was thinking about my friend Jeannie, it reminds me about another person who is more well-known to some of us, a man by the name of John Bunyan. You will remember him for being the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He was a tinker. And you're going to say, what on earth is a tinker? A tinker is a very old-fashioned name for a travelling salesman. And he went from house to house, mending pots and pans. That was his profession. That's how he made his living. He was the author of Pilgrim's Progress. So easy to judge people, especially by the outside. Let's be careful as followers of Christ that we don't fall into that category. Let's be careful if Christ loves them so we should love them. The shepherds, getting back to the narrative, would have fallen into this category of people. What am I getting at? What is the point? It's this, and it's so important, and it ties in with what we have read together tonight. There is nobody so low that the love of God cannot reach them. There is nobody so far away from God that he cannot reach out and grab them and draw them in. He does that. He's a specialist at it. If God loves them, so we should love them. And it's so wonderful that in this story, the nativity with all its mix of different characters, we have this group of shepherds that treated us as outcasts. They were nobodies. People would have shunned them, kept away from them. And they were included in this wonderful story of God's salvation, this divine plan. Wonderful, wonderful thoughts. And as we read together, it was at this moment in time, we sang about it, we read about it together, as they were watching their sheep. We know the story. As they were watching their sheep at night, in verses 8 and 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And in my version of the Bible, it tells us that they were terrified. 
And in another version of the Bible, you'll have the words, they were greatly afraid. That would probably be in an older translation of the Bible. But it literally means, if you take the Greek meaning, it means they were afraid of their lives. They were terrified. I don't know if you've ever been in an experience where you have been so terrified that your eyes are just staring out, you're shaking, you don't know what to do, who to speak to, you are so full of fear. That describes how these shepherds were feeling when this visitation took place. And when the angels, the imperative that we read together in verse 10, fear not, don't be afraid, that alerted them to what was to follow. The angel had to get their attention because of this wonderful news that they were about to receive. And that news was, today in the city of David, there is born a saviour. That was the message, this gospel message, a message which would remove all fear, take it all away. Yes, they were afraid, but how that peace came to them as they realised the strength of the message that they received from these angels, there is born for you a saviour in the city of David. Israel's Redeemer had come. This one who would bring about the love of God, God's plan of salvation, who would bring about all things new, where rules and regulations reigned in their day. So through Christ, he would bring peace and grace through believing in him by having faith in him alone. It was going to be altogether different, and it all came about through the birth of that precious Son of God. Good news. Not just for these shepherds, but as the narrative tells us, as part of the message of the angels, to be shared for all people. Now, this is an interesting point, which I need you to hold on to. This morning, when we thought about the angel's message to Joseph, Joseph was given with Mary that lovely, lovely responsibility that you will call his name Jesus. That's great. We know what that means and what that's all about. But with these shepherds, the message was something a little bit different. The name Jesus wasn't used, but three other titles were. He will be Saviour, He is the Christ, and He is Lord. Three wonderful titles that they were given in their message from God through these angels. He is to be born a Saviour. And it raises the question, saved from what? What do we need to be saved from? If we collectively took that answer from the Gospels, we would find some really interesting things. And it's a real message for us, whatever age we are this evening. What do we need to be saved from? The Bible tells us we need to be saved from the world and the world system and all that it offers. We need to be saved from what the Bible calls the flesh. That's all about us. And we need to be saved from the power of Satan. The Bible tells us that it's a strong power. It's a power that can hold people. It's a power that stops people from coming to God. We need to be aware of that. We can be saved from that. He is a full and a complete Savior. But even more than that, he's come to save us completely from ourselves. And that means that it's got to come to a point where we realise we can't do anything for ourselves. We need Christ. We need him. We need his salvation. He has come to save us from the guilt of sin. Now that is something that the older you get, the more aware of sin you become in your life. 
And we need to know that this salvation is to save us from the guilt of sin. But there's something else. We also need to be saved from the legacy of death. Because the Bible tells us that the result of sin is death. We need to be saved from that. That's part of this wonderful message. He is saviour, but not just that. He is also Christ. What does that title mean? That means that this one born in that manger was Christ, the one sent from God, the anointed one. It means someone who has been sent by God for a real purpose. Now these shepherds were attentive when they heard that word Christ. They knew about the Messiah. They knew that they were waiting for someone. Could this be the one we've been waiting for? The one the prophets have spoken of years past. We thought about that this morning. Is this the one? There is a Christmas carol. We, we don't often sing it. It's more of a traditional carol, but it has these words. It's one of my favourites. And this is one of the lines. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. That hymn was written by Charles Wesley, and he wrote it for Christians to worship God at Christmas time. But not only that, he wrote it for Christians to remind them of the day when Christ would come again, his second coming. He said, we've got to be ready for it. We've got to expect his coming. So he had these two thoughts in his mind. But the whole idea is that there was one who was Christ, God's son, anointed by God, sent from God. This was the Messiah, Saviour, Christ. And there was a third title the angel gave to these shepherds, and that is the word Lord. Among the Greek-speaking genes of this day, that word Lord said so much to them because it reminded them of the Old Testament, God of Israel. And they, in those days, wouldn't even dare to say his name. It was so holy. But they would use the word Lord, and it means sovereign. Lord of the universe, Lord of all creation. Lord, who is divine ruler, saviour, Christ, Lord, all wrapped up in one person, their precious, precious saviour, born in that manger. And here's just a, another connective for you, and it's just out of interest. You'll remember time after the wise men came to visit, and they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those three gifts actually tie up with these three wonderful titles that the angel gave as his message to the shepherds. You remember that the wise men, they brought the gift of myrrh. Myrrh in the Bible speaks of suffering. That linked with that title, Saviour. He had come to save, but to save meant he had to go to the cross. And we've remembered that by taking bread and wine together. That was one of the gifts. The other gift he was given was gold. And that speaks of royalty. Because Jesus had not just come as saviour, he had come as Lord, sovereign Lord, divine Lord. And then the third gift he was given was the gift of frankincense. And in the Bible, frankincense, it speaks of prayer. 
It speaks of communication with God, but it also speaks of God communicating with us. And that's where the title Christ comes in. God's Messiah, sent from God, anointed one from God. Him communicating with mankind, not in words, but in the gift of his hand. So those three gifts have this wonderful connection with those three wonderful titles the angels gave to the shepherds. And as we follow down through the narrative, this angel then gave them a sign. These simple shepherds doing their job in the, in the fields around Bethlehem, he said, this is a sign for you. And it was the most beautiful yet simple of all signs. It carries the magnificence of the incarnation. And yet it is given in the realms of those things that were familiar to them, a baby. A baby wrapped up, a baby in an animal feeding trough, things that were familiar to them, that would be the sign. But we need to stop and think about that. Sometimes we read the Christmas story, the nativity, and we read it every Christmas, so it becomes so familiar that we can read it without even looking at the words. But just hold on to this thought. What we have here in this sign is God himself on this earth, lying in that manger. It was God, creator of the universe, creator of us. In that manger, it was God himself. How wonderful. What a wonderful thought. And perhaps that's the central thought we need to hold in our hearts as we celebrate Christmas. Now, when that angel gave those simple shepherds this wonderful sign. It was at that exact point in time when the sky we read was filled, absolutely filled with this company of angels. In another version of the Bible, we're told there were multitudes. Well, you remember Jesus, he fed a multitude of 5,000 with bread and fish. Multitudes? How many angels were there? We don't know. But what we do know is this heaven could not contain at this moment this wonderful news, this message of God's love and God's salvation. It spilled out of heaven and it touched the earth and this multitude of angels and they were praising God. What a wonderful sight that must have been. No wonder they were terrified. But how reassuring as well that this was that moment, another moment when heaven was touching the earth. These angels, they couldn't contain themselves. They love everything about God. They love everything about his son. They are his servants, his messengers. And when that gift was given, they couldn't restrain themselves. They had to look. They had to be part of the story. They had to come down and give their worship at this moment in time. And what I find fascinating is that it didn't happen in the temple. It didn't happen in a church. It happened in fields around Bethlehem, the ordinary places the presence of God. What a wonderful thing to think about. Peace is pronounced on earth. God's goodwill, God's good favour, as the Bible tells us, on those where his favour rests, those who would receive this wonderful news. So how did the shepherds respond? 
they went to Bethlehem. We have this image, don't we, that they left their sheep and they rushed to Bethlehem. We don't know. We don't know how that happened, do we, really? But they went. They didn't hold back. No hesitation. They had to see what the angel had told them, that it was true. Was this sign real? They had to see it for themselves. They found the Saviour, born. There he was, in that manger. Now, as I bring this to a close, there's one thing that caught their attention. One thing that was very familiar to them. When they saw that baby in that manger, it caught their eye that he was wrapped up in cloths. Now, that was a normal practice of the day. This is what they did, the newborn babies. It was part of their custom, part of the way they looked after young babies. But I wonder if something crossed their minds, because as shepherds, they would have known this, that the sheep, the lambs that were raised for the temple sacrifice, those young lambs, when they were born, they were taken and they were wrapped up so that they weren't they, they couldn't become spotted or, or there could be no blemishes or marks or injuries on their young bodies. As young lambs, they were protected by being wrapped up. And these were the lambs used for temple sacrifice now. I wonder if that thought had crossed their minds as they saw that baby wrapped up in cloths, possibly. Could they have thought to themselves, this baby is born for sacrifice. What a thought. And it would remind me of those words of John when he looked across the River Jordan and his eyes fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ that day. He said to his own disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let me leave that thought with you because as the shepherds then went back, they proclaimed the news they couldn't withhold it. They couldn't keep it to themselves. They shared the news of all that they had heard, all that they had seen. And it was a wonderful gospel message, message of good news that they preached to those that they knew. And it gives us that wonderful privilege that we can do the same. And so the challenge, I think, is this. As we approach Christmas, who can we share this wonderful news with? Somebody at school, somebody at college, somebody we live with, somebody we live next door to. Who can we share this wonderful news of the birth of God's Son, Saviour, Christ and Lord? Let me leave that challenge with you. Thank you.